right, guys, good to see you again. Um, let's go ahead. If you, you may know this by heart, and um, you may have the book with you, but let's read through up until the point we're going to talk about tonight. Uh, now, let's just read the whole thing. Uh, I don't want to break it up. Let's read the, the creed tonight together. If you would uh, just speak it along with me where you are. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day, he arose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, whence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. So I believe in the Holy Spirit. You know, once I started looking at, at this particular phrase of the creed, I became very keenly and deeply aware of my inadequacy. Um, I mean, who am I to teach about the teacher, the one who has promised to lead me and you as believers in Christ into all truth, um, the one who guides, convicts, converts, gives insight and discernment, who testifies of the glory of Christ, who guides his people in truth, and who is very God of very God. This is no small task. And so, indeed, I, I do feel, and I, I mean, I was very uh, distraught over that this week. Just, uh, just thinking about it. And any, really, any time I've stood before the people of God, regardless of what the, the passage of Scripture may be or the subject may be, I realize that I am inadequate for the task. But, but the glorious thing about this is that's exactly where the Holy Spirit meets me. And you, this is the lifeblood of His ministry to me. It's for me to realize that I am weak and can only do what I've been called to do. And this applies to you as well in Christ. You can only do what you've been called to do by his power, that we live the life of Christ because he is in us, uh, guiding us, convicting us, giving us discernment, leading us into all truth, all of those things. And the unique thing about this particular phrase in the creed is that there's no, no sentence to break down, as I've done, at least in, in the, the ones I've been able and blessed to teach you, sort of looked at the phrase and broken it down bit by bit. That, that's not the case here, and this is no mere... Uh, abstract doctrine or a confession of truth, this is a person, okay? We're talking about the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. Um, and this is a confession of dependency, and we have to get that. When you say, I believe in the Holy Spirit, that should be coming from you as a confession of utter dependency, that is understanding how deeply we are in need of his ministry in our lives. And uh, being a confession of dependency, um, it's not just a, a confession of sheer belief in the third person of the Trinity, but, but belief in and, and a conviction to hold to everything that the Word of God tells us about him. Because this, I won't say maybe more than any other particular area of theology, but you can go really askew here very quickly. And, and that's also a challenge in teaching about it. You have to be careful. Um, Alistair Begg, who I, 
not Alex Trebek. People think I say Alex Trebek sometimes. Alistair Begg, B-E-G-G, pastor of Parkside Church in um, not necessarily Cleveland, but it's in Chagrin Falls. That's it. Um, I, I've always lamented the fact that when I preach or teach, I can't do it with a Scottish accent. I mean, it is so cool, and I would have you riveted if I had that accent. But uh, he said this. One of the things that I re- remember, one of the conferences I went to, and it, it struck me, and I've probably said it to you before in some other sermon I preached to you on a Sunday night. Um, he said, if dependency is the goal, then weakness is an advantage. Um, and that's powerful because if you're like me, you, you don't like weakness. We see weakness as something to be uh, overcome. But what we find in Scripture, even with the Apostle Paul, saying, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Christ is glorified in me when I'm down. So our goal is dependency upon the Holy Spirit. And so recognizing that weakness is advantage will help us in that. Now, Dr. Muller's chapter in, in the book on the Creed here um, did an excellent job of demonstrating the pervasive overlaying of the Spirit of God over everything we do as a people of God. I mean, from from creation to consummation, from fall to redemption, from calling to regeneration to ministry, the Spirit of God is actively involved in exalting Christ and executing the plan of the Father in us for His glory. I mean, this is this is sort of the water we swim in. So, it, and it's a dangerous thing, as I said, to teach on the Spirit of God um, and the reality of the Trinity, because a slip of the tongue can make you appear a heretic, or at least more charismatic than you care to be thought of. It's always the danger. But the reality is that it stands that, that Southern Baptists have, have had a reactionary stance against unbiblical teaching, as we should, on the Spirit of God. But it has led to a neglect of biblical understanding about the Spirit of God and His ministry in our lives and in the church. So it's not, it, it, I think it's something that we sort of shy away from. But we should not and cannot do that. Um, Young man, young pastor named Francis Chan, uh, he, he pastored out in California. I think he's just involved in like inner city ministry at the moment because he resigned his position at the church like in 2011, something like that, Cornerstone Church. Uh, but he wrote a book in 2009 called The Forgotten God, Reversing Our Tragic Neglect of the Holy Spirit. And th- this phrase, th- uh, this paragraph that he wrote caught me, and I think it gets at what I'm trying to say here. He says this, It really is an astounding truth that the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. He lives in me. I am tired of living in a way that looks exactly like people who do not have the Holy Spirit of God living in them. I want to consistently live with an awareness of his strength. I want to be different today from what I was yesterday as the fruit of the spirit becomes more manifest in me. I want to live so that I am truly submitted to the Spirit's leading on a daily basis. Christ said it is better for us that the Spirit came. And I want to live like I know that is true. I don't want to keep crawling when I have the ability to fly. That's really what it comes down to. Living with an awareness of and our dependency upon the power of the Spirit of God in our lives. And again, I think Dr. Muller did a great... This, this chapter... Specifically, when he gets it, because he lays out an outline, which we're going to look at here briefly, 
which really is just a good sermon outline for if you're going to preach a topical sermon on the ministry of the Holy Spirit. But the second part of that where he talks about life in the Spirit was a, was a moment of crushing conviction for me. It was, I mean, it was, I'm telling you, it was one of those moments that was not fun. When you sort of, God shines a light and you go, oh, there it is. There's where I need to get on my face. And it was in that um, that really caught me and sort of I had to work through the rest of, of the time thinking through that for my own life because of something he said here, and we'll, and we'll talk about it. But he starts out with the ministry of the Holy Spirit looking at John 14 through 16. And he says four specific things about the Spirit of God which should be great uh, comforts to us. And each one of them has a very specific application for us. The first one was this, is the Spirit who abides. He looks at John 14, verses 16 and 17, where Jesus is promising the disciples that the, Spirit, that the world does not know the Spirit, but they know Him. He dwells, he dwells with them and will be in them. But the thing about the Spirit abiding, abiding implies what? When you think of something, somebody abiding with you, what does it mean? What's that? Living. Living. It, it, there's a permanency there. And what Jesus, the context is there, I will not leave you as what? Orphans. So this comes as a comfort to us because we need to understand that the Spirit of God dwelling in us, He will never leave us. I mean, the promise of God, even from the Old Testament, was what? I will never leave you nor forsake you. And this is an application in reality of that promise to us as individuals that we are not left alone. And that's good, good, good news. Even when those moments when we feel most alone, that is a comfort to us. And the second thing was this, is the Spirit who teaches, which we've mentioned a little bit from John 14, 26. But the neat thing, I say neat, that's kind of trite. Uh, the amazing thing about what Dr. Muller brings out here, the Spirit who teaches, is he, he recalls that the Spirit teaches the people of God. So there is a covenant community learning together there. So we together learn when Pastor Brian preaches on Sunday mornings, when we are in Sunday school on Sunday mornings, uh, all of those times together we are by the Spirit of God learning and, and discerning as that truth comes to us and the Spirit of God is making application in our lives with that truth. And it changes us. Then he says it is the Spirit who testifies. Now this is that from John 15, 26 through 27, the Spirit testifying about Jesus. This is where Jesus says he will be a wit he will witness about me. And then later on, he says he will glorify me. And we start to get a sense of the functional subordination in the Trinity here. Because the Spirit does what? Does the Spirit glorify himself or testify about himself? No. So really, my concern about being seen and heard tonight, if, if we do this right and the Spirit is actively working, then who will be seen? Who will be glorified? Not me, but Christ. That's who we need to see. So and this is what the Spirit promises to do. This is good news for the preacher, is that we don't chase down wanting to be seen or be patted on the... And every preacher loves to be patted on the back and say that was a good sermon. But that's not the point. We want Christ to be exalted because that's what the people need. And this is the Spirit. Also, the fourth thing he says, there was the Spirit who bears truth in John 16, 13 through 14. 
And this, he says there that the Spirit is truth. And the Spirit does not, this is important, does not give contradictory testimony. So, and this is where discernment comes in in the people of God. Because we often fall in different places, don't we, about certain things. So we need to pursue a knowledge of what the Spirit would be saying to us on certain issues. Because the Spirit's not going to give contradictory testimony to the people of God. We're not going to disagree about essential things. Oh, I should say we should not disagree. And this is an indication of whether or not we're seeking to walk in the Spirit. This unity that should be a part of who we are. So that was the first part of his outline. The ministry of the Holy Spirit. Drawing from the Gospel of John. Saying that the Spirit does these things for and among the people of God. But then he gets into life in the Spirit. And he draws from Romans 8 and Galatians 5. Now the first thing he said there from Romans 8.12 was the Spirit puts to death or by the Spirit, we put to death the deeds of the body. This is what John Owen in particular, but the, but the Puritans in general, called the mortification of sin. And if you ever have the chance to read, and you can get the, the little Puritan paperback that's, that's updated and abbreviated, but it's still powerful. John Owen's little book, The Mortification of Sin, is good, good for your soul reading. And one of the things he hammers in that little book is that for us to think that Without the Spirit of God, we can put away the deeds of the flesh and mortify sin. We're fools. It cannot be done. You can't do it. Only the Spirit of God can do that. And so we frustrate ourselves because it just at that point becomes behavior modification. If we do things in our own power to change the way we are, it's just behavior modification. It's not getting at the heart of the matter, literally. And that's where the Spirit works. So this is what he does. And then secondly was bearing the fruit of the Spirit. Now Dr. Muller made this statement, and this is the one that hit me right between the eyes. He said, anyone not bearing the fruit of the Spirit does not belong to Christ. And that's a very true statement. But in that moment, my mind rushed to that list of the fruit of the Spirit, which is a singular, not a plural. So the fruit of the Spirit, it's not like I can pick and choose these things, but the fruit of the Spirit in my life will bear these things out. And you know them probably pretty well. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There's a little song you can sing. I'm not going to sing it for you, but it will help you remember them. But as I thought through that, and, and again, probably like me, because I don't think anybody bears this fruit perfectly or continually. So the question, the point that Dr. Muller is getting at is if this is foreign to you, you don't belong to Christ. But that's a powerful statement. But it still caused me to tremble because I can often look at my life and find that I am weak here. I don't always find myself to be the most patient person or the kindest person. So, and if you start, you know, like I said, this is a singular deal. So if one part of it's rotten, the whole thing's bad. So it caused me to start thinking about what are the things, what am I doing in my life to cultivate the fruit of the Spirit? And what am I doing in my life that is quenching the Spirit? How am I not depending on Him for this? Why does my life... You, you, you know, you want to look back and see a growth in this area. And I can. But I think if we get comfortable and say, oh, all these things are fine with me. I've got them. Be careful. But be pursuing this. 
in your life. And we're going to talk about how we can do that. So that's basically looking at Dr. Mueller's chapter. You know, he, he just, I mean, if you read it, it it's, it's there. It's what it is. He's got the outline. He lays it out, and it's, it's great and convicting. And there are a lot of different ways. I mean, if, tonight if we were to try to do a, a biblical, theological look at the Holy Spirit from Old Testament to New Testament, I mean, you can't do that in, in a class. It would take a course of classes to begin to do it. So tonight I want to look at Acts chapter 2. And you can, if you have your Bible with you, or you can grab a few Bible, go ahead and turn there. Ow, sorry about that. This thing is my enemy. <laughs> we don't get along. Um, so if you look at Acts chapter 2, and what is so neat about the Lord's been very gracious to me in, in these teaching these Wednesday evenings over these last this this one last week and then the one coming up. Because the the creed is sort of harmonized with where I've been, what I've been teaching in Sunday school last week and this week. So Acts chapter 2 is where we were this past Sunday. Um, and so it's good to, I think it's very good to look at it because we tend to disconnect ourselves from this passage and what we see take place in Acts chapter 22. And there's no need to do that. And again, I think it, it becomes, because what we see taking place is so amazing and it is unique that we tend to pull away from it because we're afraid of it, and we shouldn't be. Um, so the context here as we get into Acts chapter 2 is this, that the, the place left vacant by Judas has been filled, but the place left vacant by Jesus has not yet been filled. There's a promise he gave, right? The helper is coming. You remain here in Jerusalem until the Spirit comes. So that's the context here. We find the disciples gathered together, all together in one place, awaiting the coming of the Spirit. Um, and there's a question that we'll see at the end of this passage. We're just going to look briefly, really, at the first uh, 13 verses. And I'm not going to, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time, but just sort of skip through it and get the, uh, the skeleton of what's going on here. But there's a question posed here that the people pose that is the question for us tonight that we'll get to, that I, wanna, I want you to lay as a template over your life tonight when you think about this. Okay? So... Look at the first four verses. The first thing I want you to consider that if we are seeking to live in the power of the Spirit and, this, and, and being consciously dependent on Him as we walk, there will be what? Number one, I would say there will be evidence of power. This is what you see in the first four verses here. Yeah, this is a very radical evidence, and there's a reason that it's radical. But look here. This is what Luke writes for us. He says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one Place. So this is 50, uh, 50 days after the Passover. And they're gathered together, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit, Spirit gave them utterance. So here they are. You put yourself in this scene. We talked about the ascension last time, and as amazing as that was, and they go back to Jerusalem, and Luke doesn't tell us exactly where they were, but they're gathered together, 120-ish, and they're waiting, and something astounding happens. The way Luke describes it is a mighty, rushing wind. And so you, anytime the Bible talks about wind and fire, as we'll see, it's, it's pointing us to something. Just like with the cloud in Acts chapter 1, 
was pointing us to something. It's the glory of God. So here, wind, same word for spirit in Greek, ruach. Well, that's, that's Hebrew, isn't it? Pneuma in Greek. There you go. It's been a while. <laughs> but it's, it's the same word. So it's pointing us and telling us that the gift is coming. The spirit is arriving. But here's what we see. Evidence of dependency on the spirit. Number one, unity. These people were gathered together together in one place waiting. They were gathered with the same purpose, the same mission, the same anticipation. And so I think that's challenging for us um, because these people were living their lives together intentionally. And that is difficult. I get that that cultural context was very different from what we find ourselves in now. We are so busy and running a thousand different directions. And I mean, transportation, everything takes us further and further away. So you could say, okay, it's a little more difficult for us to live in intentional community as they did. But I think we can use that as an excuse. And one of the things that I've tried to cultivate in, in places the Lord has allowed me to pastor is this living life, living out the implications of the gospel intentionally, being invested in one another's lives and not just gathering for programs throughout the week because the gospel is not programmatic, it's organic. So we are meant to come together and invest in one another's lives. That's why I am so excited, and I know you are too, that we're doing this thing called Feast and Fellowship. Because that's exactly what we do. We get together in one another's homes and get to know each other and start to invest in one another's lives so we know each other at a deeper level and can live out the implications of the gospel together. Because that's how you do the one another's of the gospel, right? How do you love one another? How do you serve one another? How do you bear one another's burdens if you are not connected vitally? And the reality is we are in Christ connected. So we need to let that work out practically in our everyday lives. So there has to be this unity, but also this essence of availability. Now, if you look in verse 3 there, that's when Luke mentions the, the manifestation of a fire, tongue, tongues of fire. I'm about to rip this thing off again. Tongues of fire. Yeah, that's a little better. And the reason, you know, this is an indication of what's about to happen, Okay. They are about to, something amazing is about to happen in which this breach, this, this division, which has sort of manifested itself in different languages, will be overcome by the gospel, by the proclaiming of the gospel. So, and I think, you know, this is debatable. Some people say yeah, some people say no. But I think like with all things, when Jesus is, is turning back what the curse has done, what, where do we see differing languages come from? Yeah, Tower of Babel, Genesis, Genesis 11. And I think this is an undoing, an intentional reversal of that. Because what predicated the Tower of Babel? The pride of man, right? Raising himself up to God. And God confused them, scattered them. And so now what's happening with the gospel? God is coming down and gathering. It's a reversal of what we saw take place there. And that's what's amazing about this. And this event will, will give the template for the rest of the book of Acts. That there will be a proclamation to the ends of the earth of the gospel. So we also see this issue 
of dependency. So unity, availability, you know, they were gathered there together with an, with an anticipation because the amazing phrase is that you know, they were, each, each one of them had a tongue of fire rest upon them. Each one of them was being used and were there present waiting for this promise that Jesus said was coming. And then the issue of dependency, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, but what does it say there? They were all speaking as the Spirit gave them utterance. And and that's it. There is, again, a dependency upon... You know, they just didn't say, well, we're going to go do this. They were... Something amazing was taking place that the Spirit was moving them to do. And you and I know less when we seek to serve Christ and to share the gospel and need to have this awareness that we are dependent upon Him. The Lord graciously opens doors for us to share the gospel at work or wherever it may be, at school, out in the marketplace doing things. Be keenly aware that you're dependent upon him. In that moment, be aware that you're dependent upon him. Um, John 14, 17 says this, uh, That is the spirit of truth, this is Jesus speaking, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him, or know him, but you know him because he abides in you and will be in you. That's that abiding spirit. Knowing that you serve him, he is with you. So they began to speak with other tongues as the spirit was giving them utterance. Now what's amazing about this, this, as we look at this, this is the baptism of the Holy Spirit here. This is why I, I say we disconnect ourselves from this. We, if you're in Christ, you can't disconnect yourself from this because you've experienced the same thing. Now, here's the difference. Do you have, there's baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's a one-time, non-repeatable event that happens at conversion and in conjunction with conversion. Then there is the filling of the Spirit, which is a command. So you have this. And this should make us tremble as well, but also rejoice. Baptism, here's what Paul says in Romans 8 9. He says, However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. This is a non-negotiable. So, you're not disconnected from Acts chapter 2. But then you have this. Filling, a continual pursuit. Ephesians 5, Paul said this, 5.18, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, a command. Something we pursue. Something we chase after, in a sense. So, don't run from a passage like this, but see that you are vitally connected to even these believers in Acts chapter 2 to do what God's called you to do in the power of the Spirit simply because... The Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, this was unique, absolutely unique. It's not likely, if I can say it lightly, that you receive Christ, this is what happened to you. But this was a necessity because of who was in Jerusalem at the time and God demonstrating what he was going to do through the gospel. Okay? So now, there's that demonstration of power. But also there's reaction to power in this passage. Look in verses 5 through 13. There's a reaction to what takes place, as we would expect. It says, Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, and at this sound, so there's a commotion here. 
Think about it, these are Galileans who were considered simpletons. And now they're speaking fluently no less than 16 different languages. And so, yeah, this is going to get the attention as they rush out into the temple compound and people go, what is happening? They, the multitude came together and they were bewildered. Look at, listen to the words that Luke piles up here. They were bewildered and astonished, saying, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Galatia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, here's that question I told you about, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said they are filled with new wine. So there is reaction to the power of the Spirit of God in your life. Number one, I would say this. It will get attention, just like it did here. People began to notice what's going on here. You live your life in the power of the Spirit of God, putting to death the deeds of the flesh. It will get the attention of those you interact with. They will see a difference in your life. And it leads to this. You know, Luke piled up those words, bewildered, amazed, marveled, amazement, great perplexity, all those things. But it leads to this, investigation. Because what do these people do? They start asking questions, don't they? They don't understand what's taking place. So they say, you know, aren't these all Galileans? They're not supposed to be able to speak this well. And how is it we hear them? Now, this is a, this is a miracle of speech, not of hearing. That's been debated too. I think very clearly the text says this is a miracle of speech because the Spirit gave them utterance and the Spirit filled these believers and the gift was to them, not to those hearing. The gift of those hearing was the message of the gospel and the glory of God. So this is a miracle of speech. They were speaking in other languages. And so in verse 12, there's the question, what does this mean? So that's the question for us tonight. The fact that this is the reality, that as believers, the promise to us, as was promised to these disciples, that the Spirit of God is with us and dwells in us, what does this mean? And as with the Francis Chan quote that I read earlier, are we living life looking just like those who don't even know who the Holy Spirit is and do not have Him? Is there a measurable difference? When I say measurable, I mean discernible difference between the way we live day to day and those around us who, do not, who need to hear the message we know so well but don't have Christ. And that's a convicting thought for me. You start to, to look at your life and think about those around you who you know don't know Christ and you go, do they really see this radical, because it should be radical, difference in me? Are my affections different than their affections? Are my pursuits different than their pursuits? Are the things that I see as absolutely essential different from what they see as essential? 
Am I chasing after what the world says I should chase, says I should chase after? Or am I pursuing Christ? Am I pursuing holiness? These are the differences. So what does this mean for you tonight? Yeah, Brian. Absolutely. 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 Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's why, you know, we ask that question. Do, is that evident? Right. I mean, it, and, and it's, it's convicting to me. It definitely is because, you know, I can only examine very, very closely my own life. I mean, I can, we can all examine one another's lives and we're called to do that. But I know I have the dirt on me. You know, every bit of it. So it's, it's something I have to work through when I say, you know, in what ways is the Spirit of God manifesting the glory of Christ through me? Because, because that's, that's His function, right? He will testify of Christ and glorify Him. So if his ministry to me, all of those things combined, the abiding, the, the leading into all truth, the calling all things to mind, all of that is to the end that Christ is glorified in me, to me and through me. I, that's what comes to mind for me is it become, becomes a filling of self. I fill myself with myself. And we bear false witness mm -hmm. against an accomplishment of Jesus. Which is a grievous sin against him. Right. Yeah, I, I think, you know, left to my own devices, I think all of us left to our own devices, this goes back to the bigger problem that Rather than glorifying Christ, apart from the Spirit of God, we, we glorify self because we have a God complex. I want to be the one who is seen and adored and obeyed. <laughs> it, and it, you know, that creeps out every once in a while. Ask my kids. You know, Dad's the one that can, oh, you've broken my laws and, you know. Yeah, yeah. And so Pentecost is the reversal of that, which is man making a name for himself. Right.
So you know, we think about the fruit of the Spirit, you know, and, and I think the difficulty sometimes, at least for me, in thinking about the fruit of the Spirit and looking at it as a list rather than a, uh, a comprehensive uh, aroma. <laughs> I don't know what to, how to say it, but you know, the fruit of the Spirit is worked out in, I think all those are seen in relationship, in the context of, of, of us rubbing up against other lives. I mean, I can only demonstrate patience with you. I can only be kind to you. I can only demonstrate, well, I can demonstrate self-control by myself. But, but, but in relationship, that's where it's really seen. And I, and I think that's how we should measure as we seek to examine ourselves for fruit of the Spirit is, you know, how are we, and it goes back again to this, how are we with others? Are we wanting to exalt Christ in our relationships or is it all about us? I mean, the, the times I get in trouble with my wife is when I'm all about me. And I could probably say the same thing with my kids, when I'm about me and not seeking to show the glory of Christ. And so, and so I can, this can only be done by the power of the Spirit. So we seek to answer the question, what does it mean? It's a big, big question. I think fundamentally what it means is we become people who are not about self but about, but about Jesus and making him known and pursuing that filling with the Spirit. Because not only was, was there a tension, there was also rejection in that passage, wasn't there? Because some of them mocked. And this, and this will happen. You know, by the same token, you know, if I'm, it amazes me, and I, and I told the, the college kids in the class on Sunday, where I am at work right now, which is, Honestly, it's just not where I'd rather be. It's where the Lord has me in His providence. That's where I am. And without fail, and this, and this is not to say, hey, this works for me, so look at me. I'm, an I'm not saying that at all, but it, it amazes me that without fail, these guys investigate my life and ask me questions. I've had some of the deepest, I mean, these are rough guys. And I've been, been able to have some of the deepest gospel-centered conversations I've had in years with these guys. Because they want to know. I mean, a lot of it goes because they, they know I was a pastor. They, so that, that intrigues them, and I get that. But they will, without fail, ask me these questions, which, you know, reminds me that's why the Lord has me there. And I'm kind of like, <laughs> you know, but that's where he's got me. But also what will happen, and, and this is subtle, and it comes out too at times. There's mocking. You know, you're the, the, the Puritan-esque prude or whatever, you know. There's mocking when you don't jump into the same dissipation <laughs> that they're involved in. When you walk away from a conversation that's just not something you need to be involved in. Or don't laugh at a joke that everybody else is laughing at. Oh, Eric, Eric doesn't think that's funny. You know, and you're not doing, I'm not, you know, doing it to be, I'm better than you. I'm, but there's a, there's a conviction there that you, you, you need to, to stand firm. And so rejection will come. Question, does that, does that matter to us? Does that make any difference? Are we willing to be scorned? As Michael Card said it, are we willing to be God's own fool? You know, willing to be thought of as foolish for the sake of Christ. It shouldn't matter. But I think this is what shows us, what this passage shows us, is that will happen. There will be investigation. The Holy Spirit in your life will cause investigation, but it will also cause mocking because you will look different. You won't jump into the same things that the world jumps into, and you shouldn't. So a couple 
couple of uh, passages I wanted to close with just to read and just to think about. If we say, okay, what does the Spirit-filled life look like? Listen to what Paul said in Ephesians 5. And I think this is more, this is what it looks like in a, in a congregational setting, in a community. He says this, I read part of it earlier. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Then he says this, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. If you think about what we look like as a local body, you know, set this over, let this be a template and set it down over top of us. And what does it mean to speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs? To sing and make melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks. You know, and I don't, this passage isn't discounting that, that tragedy and difficulty. I mean, those are, we're also, you'll find passages in Scripture that call us to bear one another's burdens, to weep with those who weep. So this isn't painting the picture of a bunch of happy-go-lucky, uh, zombie-like, smiling people. But it's an inner disposition that when we gather together as God's people, there's a joy that, that we're, we're glad to be together. It's something we in, enjoy. And too often... I know too, too often in my own heart, what can creep up is a critical spirit, a spirit of agitation, a spirit of why is that person doing this or why do they insist on that? And there's no place for that. I mean, you've heard me say before probably that it takes, it takes grace for the church to function as it should. It takes grace for God to gather a bunch of people who have different personalities and interests and quirks and all of those things to function as the body of Christ. It takes the Spirit of God and grace for that to work. And it glorifies Him. I mean, it, it should be amazing that we can all come together from all walks and yet love each other deeply and look like this. Making melody in our hearts, giving thanks to God being excited that we're together. And then Galatians 5, and this is, this is that fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. So I think Paul just can't get away from that that aspect of command. You belong to Christ. Walk by the Spirit. Don't assume it. Pursue it. So, if we're to be filled with the Spirit, walk in the Spirit, the challenge is us for in, to empty ourselves of other things. How do you know when you're empty of self? And I think it's simply this. You're hungry and thirsty. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. So there's a question for us. Do we hunger and thirst for Christ? The psalm said, as a deer pants for the water, oh, my soul longs for you, O Lord. So many other things I run to and we run to, to to satisfy thirst and hunger. I can put so many things in the spot 
that rightfully belongs to Christ and try to find that deep satisfaction and, and calmness. But they never last. So back to the question, what does this mean? And that's sort of what I want to, want to leave you with tonight. And I don't want, I don't want to keep answering it. And t- you know, I want you to think about it. You think about this truth, that confession, I believe in the Holy Spirit, a, a confession of dependency. What does this mean? And, and the challenge for us is to answer that question with how we live. Find out what it means by how you interact with those you interact with every day. Let the power of the Spirit be demonstrated in your life to glorify Christ to you and through you. You guys, you know, I always sort of uh, say, hey, what are you thinking? And, and, and I do want to know what you're thinking. Um, you think about practical ways to pursue walking in the Spirit. And I, and I genuinely want to hear from you guys because many of you have been believers much longer than I have. And, and so I long to hear that. So what are the, some of the things you have developed or that help you to do this?